Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, business and the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage. Building experiences that connect, remove friction, and deliver insights. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend and Veris Sage Institute colleague, Ed Klass. On today's show, folks, the rise of the accountants, Patendra Patel. Hey, Ed, how's it going? It's going great, Ron. Looking forward to this conversation. Me too. It's been a relatively slow news week, so I'm really <laughs> yeah, right. to this. <laughs> yeah, Well, let me read Hitendra in here. Hitendra Patel is the author of two critically acclaimed books sold in over 14 countries across five continents. He's one of the top 100 most influential people in accounting in the United States. And he's also been among the top 10 accounting influencers to follow on social media. He provides contemporary insights into the accounting profession about practice growth, uh, entrepreneurship and accounting, client accounting services, and emerging technologies such as AI, machine learning, blockchain, and cybersecurity. He also has a keen interest in human behavior science, neuroscience, and psychology and writing. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Atendra. Thank you, Ron, and thank you, Ed. Thank you for having me. Uh, so glad to be here. Oh, we're thrilled to have you. You know, Atendra, we've known each other for quite a number of years, and I don't think we've ever met. Yep. I know you became a citizen of the USA, mm-hmm. um, but I've never heard your backstory. How'd you get into accounting? Yeah, it's a quite a long story. But before I start with that, uh, let me just assure you, this is not an AI fake. I'm real Hitendra here. <laughs> so, <laughs> right? so, so no hallucinations then. Okay, good. Okay. <laughs> right. So uh, I started uh, actually in capital markets. Uh, and my educational background was science, which I believe uh, gives you a method of thinking. Science is always methodical. And I started with the capital markets. And before that, uh, while in I was in college, uh, my dad ran a little business. Uh, and that went into a little bit of uh, trouble. And one of my friends uh, whose dad was an accountant, and I uh, said, bring me your financial statements uh, for the last two, three years. And uh, one month later, I land up at his home for a dinner. And uh, the guy looks at uh, the statements for about 15 minutes and says, uh, you know, your dad's company invested too much in inventory and sales were slow. And I'm like, how the heck do you know? You don't know anything about my dad's business. But at that time, the seed was planted that, look, accountants can change lives. And slowly I landed up in hedge fund accounting and then you know, street accounting, and here I am. Wow. And, and what made you want to come to America? And when did all that transpire? Was it after college, before, during yeah, technically after college, uh, I worked for India's largest corporate then, and that was all shareholder accounting, completely technology driven. And at that time, uh, because the uh, shareholding pattern also included uh, global investors, they were coming for due diligence. And, and we would be like on the forefront, you know, telling them how great we are, how secure we are. And I was always like, wait, these guys uh, you know, can invest uh, in you know, 10,000 miles away. So what must be happening in, in that country? So that is where I kind of picked up my global cues. And then I went into a stock exchange uh, driven company that again had global cues. And then I finally landed up hedge fund accounting, which was my 
real direct exposure to uh, the U.S. market. That was a Chicago-based hedge fund administrator, you know, trading in God knows how many you know, types of securities. And we set up uh, a Bangalore-based uh, back office for them, so-called back office. And uh, that went into a triple uh, growth within the target period. Like, you know, they, they loved it so much. And that gave me even more exposure to this. And then I said, look, you know, core accounting can be much bigger than just hedge fund accounting. Hedge fund, very few play, uh, you know, people play in that. So why not look at that? And that's how ultimately I connected the dots from my college days where that accountant told me, look, you know, you invested too much in inventory. So I finally landed up in, uh, in the place that I think where I was supposed to be. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, um, glad to have you here as a citizen. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I'm going to focus on the profession and I'm going to ask you a typical accounting today, you know, top 100 question. Mm-hmm. What do you think is the biggest challenge right now facing the accounting profession? I think uh, there are a lot of symptoms floating around, you know, talent shortage, technology automation, AI, of course. But at the core of it, I think we are going towards the the core purpose of accountants and accounting. That is to help people and businesses uh, really unlock their potential and turn that into performance. Over the last about 20 years or so, maybe 25 years, the technology made work sound like, okay, if it's technology, you're dealing with data, software, that's work. But that is just a means of getting somewhere. And that getting somewhere, that somewhere is where you impact people's lives through your accounting uh, expertise. I think we are getting there now. And uh, the, the faster... Most accountants recognize this, that whatever they're doing for the is for that end purpose, that that should lead us to a better profession. And I believe the greatest challenge is in identifying or separating the symptoms from the core. Rest everything is, is just a matter of, you know, uh, kind of making people uh, realize that, look, this is what I am needing. It's actually talent shortage, for example, and it's a classic symptom. You know, now people are forced to kind of look at better innovative ways to getting things done that we should have been thinking uh, right up front and so that people can do better work. Not, you know, uh, I don't believe that hands were created by God to bound the keyboards. <laughs> that was not the purpose. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And and that's mm-hmm. interesting. That's an interesting take that the talent shortage is a symptom mm-hmm. of something yeah. deeper. And I, I believe yeah. that as well. Yeah. But on the talent shortage, mm-hmm. since you mentioned it first, I noticed, mm-hmm. um, what are some of your ideas for how to alleviate the talent shortage? In other words, not only bring more people into the pipeline, into the profession mm-hmm. from college mm-hmm. and high school, like you were inspired by mm-hmm. your, your friend's accountant um, or your friend's dad, mm-hmm. um, but but keeping people from leaving accounting. Mm-hmm. Because that happens in droves too, as we right. saw in the Wall Street Journal, three hundred thousand mm-hmm. people or whatever. How do you think about that? What do you think could be some useful reforms to to fill the pipeline more? Yeah, I think uh, after COVID, things changed quite dramatically in terms of people's expectations from life itself, not just accounting overall. And that kind of also told people that look, I can be anywhere. I can still perform, do my work, get my money and still lead to a better work-life balance and things like that. Uh, But at the same time, if you look at accounting as a profession, it has very uh, less number of celebrities that people see from outside the profession. 
you know we need more ron bakers for example to be known outside of accounting world far more you know for example technology has steve jobs is of the world and you know and those kinds of things people think oh my god they're doing changing the world in, in mass uh, impact accountants impact is right on the core uh, economy core people's lives every single day every single minute but people don't see it outside the profession so first and foremost we need those celebrities to uh, you know kind of bring people in into the profession and yeah, then uh, yeah go ahead i was just going to say yeah you're right yeah, there's no yeah. There's L.A. law and lots of TV shows and famous yeah. lawyers, but we don't yeah. have anything equivalent culturally. Correct. That's correct. Exactly. Right. So that brings attention of the younger generation. Look, this, this seems something cool yeah. uh, in, in their uh, lingo. Then when people come into the profession, they might come with expectations. Look, there's a lot of technology. Everything is technology now. Accountants cannot function without uh, technology and computers and all that. So the work would be all cool. But when you come in, you get into you no know, grunt work kind of, and then you say, "Oh my God, taxis and long hours, eighty-hour weeks, and things like that." And that is a byproduct of how the laws are structured over the last many, many years. So you have all the deadlines coming together, which means there are peaks of workload, and then you get into, "Oh my God, I'm exhausted. I am on vacation." Those kinds of things. Right? And that cycle, you can live possibly for three, four, five years, and then you start getting tired of it, right? So there are opportunities there for uh, firms to really level out that work by really planning things so, uh, very well. And uh, I'm seeing uh, a lot more uh, globalization stepping into addressing this challenge. Essentially, you live across different time zones. You hire talent from wherever it is available and produce the work wherever it is consumed. So globalization is definitely one of the key answers. In fact, uh, I did join uh, Datamatics very recently, uh, which is a globalized company offering uh, uh, expertise at different time zones and uh, at different uh, labor pool market altogether. And one of the reasons I joined is I wanted to be part of this solution. You know, uh, I didn't want to just talk about the problem. So there are these uh, challenges of spreading the work, making sure that people with the right qualifications get right kind of work that challenges their intellect and passions. You know, you put somebody uh, who is creative or who loves talking to people about their business challenges, you put that person in to reconcile these 17 accounts, you're going to be in trouble. <laughs> right, right. I, you know, I... I wanted to get your take on this because mm -hmm. I, there's so many parallels between, mm -hmm. I think what we do as CPAs and what doctors yeah. do. Correct. We, they keep us financial, you know, physically healthy and we keep people financially healthier, healthy right. and we have that right. potential to do that. Right. But I see this fee for service mm -hmm. um, model that we're in, whether, whether it's hourly billing or even value pricing, it's all built around scope of work and right. this mm -hmm. and that. And, you know, that's kind of not why we entered the profession. And I don't think it's so much burnout. I think it's more rust out or people just get bored or they don't feel challenged or okay. even worse, they feel like there's this great term known as moral injury, mm -hmm. which is, this is not what I signed up for. We yeah, ask yeah. anybody why they became a CPA. They'll say to help people. And yet when you get in there, you, you're doing grunt work and you're also, you're, you don't have time to sit down and just have conversations with your customers. You're moving from one job to another. How, right. do, how do you see that? Yeah. In fact, a uh, fantastic uh, thing you touched upon. My uh, gas book actually started with that premise that, you know, why did you become an accountant? Go back to your root and question yourself and remind, remind yourself, 
And then you will know why you should get into CAS uh, because you're going to give more impact to your clients. Everything you do has an outcome purpose. That outcome is the impact that you have in people's lives. And if you're not producing that, you're just you know, going through several different processes and software and all that stuff, then uh, you're not living your purpose. And that's why you feel burnt out and you feel disconnected from the profession. You're not happy. You, you're living that moral injury, as you say. No? So if you do that, then uh, it's, it's not going to be useful for you in the long term. You might stick around for 30 years, make your money and get out. But that's not going to be you know, helping you end of it. You'll say, oh, I lived a fulfilled career or life. And that's going to be too much of a regret at the end of uh, that period, right? Yeah, it does. It breeds cynicism. And I think yeah. that's why people leave accounting after they've been in yeah. it for two that's to right. five years or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. And um, I, Ed will probably ask you about this, and we've only got about mm. a minute, but mm. I just want to get the ball rolling on this. Sure. You, mm. Your book, um, mm. The Client Accounting Services, The Definitive mm. Success Guide to Client mm. Accounting Services, was published mm. in 2020. So yeah. right at COVID, when mm -hmm. COVID was breaking, um, mm -hmm. and you're not a fan of hourly billing. So yeah. just tell, t tell me in one sentence or two, why, are, why aren't you a fan of hourly billing? Yeah, it, it kind of defies your whole uh, expertise uh, evolution. So tomorrow, because you become an expert, you do the same work in, let's say, instead of one hour in 30 minutes time, are you going to build the client for in, for 30 minutes and you will build them for one hour and you will feel morally injured again. Look, I did that work uh, very quickly where I'm building the client. So that's not, and the client doesn't see any value in that. Because how does an hour, how does a client measure the value received from that hour? They go by the output, oh, I received a financial statement. And the client thinks, oh wait, why did you take six hours to produce this report? You can just press a button and do it, right? So there, this disconnect increases as you go on doing hourly uh, billing for the work. And that's why impact is what you should be selling, not the hours. The more the clients see the impact, the more they relate to that impact to their lives. All these questions of why did you charge me so much uh, just goes away. And the moment you send an invoice, okay, 6.3 hours, you're going to be in trouble. <laughs> Yeah, couldn't agree yeah. more. I've never yeah. asked my surgeon why he spent so much time in the right, OR. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tendra, this is flying by. I knew it would. Uh, yeah. Folks, we'd like to remind you, if you mm. want to contact me or Ed, you can send us an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Do check out our Patreon channel where you can mm. subscribe, get bonus content, previews to upcoming shows, and other things. And that channel you can find at patreon.com slash tsoe. That channel is also sponsored by 90 Minds. Find a mind at 90 Minds. You can check them out at 90minds.com. And now a word from our sponsors. Follow Voice America at facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too. 
Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I recorded the advertisement for Ron and Ed's book, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Blah 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 Whatever, and four years later, we're all tired of it, especially me. But thankfully, there's a solution. For just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. For a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now. Ron, we talk a lot about business opportunities. Well, now a great one has become our sponsor, bookskeepingfranchise.com, bookskeeping with an X. That's right, Ed. If you are interested in becoming part of the $4.2 billion bookkeeping industry for a franchise fee of just under $20,000, visit www.bookskeepingfranchise.com. Bookskeeping comes with full training, plus marketing and technical support, and even staffing. Visit the website or call 855 935 2669. Franchise opportunity not available in all states. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we are back on The Soul of Enterprise with Hitendra Patel. He is the author of Rise of the AI Accountants, Accountants Augmented by Artificial Intelligence, The Essential Guide to What, Why, and How of AI for Accountants. And Hitendra will get there. We'll get there. I promise we'll talk about the book. But first, I want to talk about the fact that uh, you're slightly an overachiever. You have currently four open positions that you <laughs> on LinkedIn. You're doing you do four jobs right now. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and exactly. your most most recent one is now you're president of the of uh, D- Datamatics Business Solutions. So tell me a little bit about that new role. It's relatively new for you. Yeah. So Datamatics again, it's a, a fantastic story. It's back to my roots kind of a thing. I started my career in in the shareholder accounting kind of business for the largest company in India. And that time, Datamatics used to be one of the players in the same industry. And the founders were the ones that I would look up to as a young guy. And uh, now their sons operate these uh, these companies and I'm I'm with them. Of course, the company has grown. Datamatics as a group has 13,000 plus people. Business Solutions has around 1,200 people. Uh, and we do a lot of uh, finance and accounting outsourcing work for uh, you know, CPA firms, accounting firms in US, the UK, Ireland, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. So it's kind of, uh, you know, growing my uh, field of impact, I would say. But uh, most importantly, I am uh, very happy to be part of Datamatics Business Solutions because it's really uh, uh, one of the solutions, at least for the current challenges that the accounting profession is facing. And I always wanted to be part of this uh, profession. Uh, part of the solution. And uh, that's my really only job. The other are, I would call my three different hats, <laughs> right? 
and that happens all the time uh you know all of a sudden uh, on a sunday uh, night <laughs> i would recall something and it's okay this is a great content piece uh, this is a great thing to share an insight so let me start writing the next day morning sometimes i don't uh, figure out what the heck did i write <laughs> <laughs> Well, speaking of writing, let's talk uh, a little bit about your book. As I mentioned, the the title. Let me make sure. Is it Rise of the AI Accountants? Is that how you're saying it? Is that right? Exactly correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. Exactly Good. Correct, yeah. Make sure I've had that. Yeah. Um, but what I wanted to ask you is, it was published in January of 2023, so this mm -hmm. year. How mm -hmm. out of date is it? Oh, yes. <laughs> fabulous question. Uh, uh, but at the same time, I did not relate it to any of the contemporary tools available then. The book was in the writing for almost three, four years. Every time I thought, okay, now I have got enough content, AI was moving forward and further, right? So I said, okay, let me get it. And then finally, I realized, look, I got to go to the core, not the symptoms, as I always prefer to. And the book is essentially uh, the kind of telling accountants, look, you should learn about how AI is created in the first place, how it works, and what can you do with it, how it learns on its own. So once you figure out the core fundamental behind any AI tool, you should be able to better respond to any AI changes in the profession and into the solutions that you're using every day. So if it was for, let's say, a chat GPT kind of a thing, then the book would have been outdated like in two days, right? <laughs> Yeah, so I kind of figured out, look, I got to go deeper and make sure that I bring the fundamentals to the profession. So talk a little bit about that. So you, what, you talk in, in the book that you want to know that with the factual, what's hype and what's practically realistic about AI. So so talk a little bit about, let's call go with the practically realistic. So I want yeah. you to talk with that with our audience. As far as, far as accounting profession is concerned, uh, the practical reality is, not around the third party tools that do generation of, let's say a text or an image or a video for that matter. That's good for marketing and those kinds of purposes, communications. But what about your core work that you do, your accounting, your payroll, your taxes, your audits, and all that. And uh, AI, uh, I realized pretty early uh, uh, in, in life that look, without data, there is no AI. So whosoever has large amount of data is the one really uh, poised to make a real good AI tool or AI software. Right. So from that angle, whatever core software you use for accounting or for bookkeeping, whatever your core business as a firm is, once AI starts coming within those softwares, that becomes your practical reality, not outside of it. And then the second part of that is once the data is already there existing, that's the past. But there is a lot of data that is residing in the heads of your clients and in your head. And how do you uh, kind of monitor and manage this immigration of external world into the data world is where your role comes to be. That's your practical reality. Typical, for example, let's say an AI tool is created on, on uh, tax return software. And let's say five years down the line, uh, key tax rules changed. And that data on which AI got trained on was trained on the older tax rules. Is it going to be useful? That's not going to be practical for you. So you've got to be watching out for such things and make sure you understand what the heck do you expect from AI? You know? 
Mm-hmm. So do you, do you think that that uh, w- one of the things that that at Sage we talk a little bit about is continuous audit, right? This notion of ca- can we get to the point where AI maybe not completely replaces the audit, mm-hmm. but significantly reduces all of the stuff that has to get done on an audit? And do you see that happening? Because that's certainly a, a, there's still a lot of folks who do a lot of auditing right now in yeah. the accounting profession. Yeah, and I believe uh, of the whole talent shortage, audit is the place where most talent crunch is being faced. And that could be because of this uh, hype, possibly. Mm-hmm. But the, there are two pa- aspects to audit. Audit, there is it's a purpose-driven thing. Why do you do an audit? Of course, with compliance. But then, more than that, what would be the findings that can help uh, people do better or companies do better and you know, manage risks? And those, those are the objectives. To fulfill those objectives, you have to handle massive amounts of data. And AI is a godsend in that place, right? So it can do that crunching, research, uh, finding uh, anomalies, which otherwise will be very difficult for human beings because of time paucity to find out. And hence, you go into sample audits as a human being. But with AI, it could be 100% or it could be simultaneous. Or it's just all good thing that's happening. Now you apply your brains. You're connecting the dots. Look. My data assistant called AI did all the grunt work for me. And now uh, I'm the one who is applying my mind and industry knowledge and expertise onto the client situation for this audit. So that's a good thing. So you you could possibly do audit of even uh, smaller companies. Smaller companies should be able to afford the audits and hence uh, be able to do better. So you know, large companies, securities exchange commission, regulated companies, you know, for them audits is possibly mandatory. But what about mid-sized businesses that form the crux of our economy, right? So if they can benefit from this audit knowledge of uh, accountants, because AI comes into picture and makes it uh, more uh, affordable, then why not? So let me ask you a question that returns to the story that you opened with Ron, and that is, do you think that today, if uh, your dad had brought his financial statements to an an AI agent that has been trained on accounting data, would it have been able to spit out the same thing that your his friend was able to do and tell him, hey, you've you've over you've overmanaged your or overpurchased on inventory? That absolutely, yes, I totally uh, believe so because ultimately it's all data connections, and pretty quickly the AI can go in without really you know you telling specifically what to do to that software absolutely yes my dad would have loved it because he was he was a born salesperson really speaking he he loved talking to people and by the way he sold to doctors <laughs> and uh, he would have loved that in all that data insights uh, to be taken care of by ai while he was running his business and while he was focusing on his business but there's still an element though that i always think that i don't think we'll ever get replaced and that is wisdom about the situation. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that that your, your 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 dad's accountant not only was able to uh, discern what the problem was, but he was also able in the context of what was happening in the market and all that, which 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 AI was not going to have that context and probably right. never will. Exactly. That's why you know, I said uh, there is a world that exists outside of the data inside of that AI and that context or you know uh, immigration between those two worlds. AI cannot get it. AI is technically not an aware software. It just knows the data, not the situation around it or outside it. So for that to be managed, you need human beings in the first place. Without context, nothing happens. 
And so the next thing that you say you talk about in the book is maybe uncovering some profitable AI opportunities within your organization. Um, how are firms going about doing that? Because I think that's a big question a lot of folks have is, all right, yeah, I hear about this AI, but how do I practically apply it to what I can do inside my organization? Good question. Uh, in fact, I'm as of now, right now, I'm running a quick research along with CPA Trend Lines on 2024 uh, for accountants. And one of the questions is, you know, what can AI do for you or to your firm? Mm -hmm. And the emerging trend right now, initial trend is uh, about three and four accountants say, I don't know. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. Those who say very good are say, you know, mostly focused on uh, their communications, you know, writing emails or writing their website copies or just making sure all the documentation gets done quickly. Or for that matter, a bit of a research on some of the uh, time consuming things and then going back and checking the outcomes from AI. So from all that angle, the, the crunching the time taken to process massive amounts of information to make your business decisions within the firm is where it go is going towards. That's an operational thing, not the core uh revenue generating services work to be done by AI. It's still coming little by little, you know, for you know, big time accounting softwares, for example, audit softwares, for example, they're slowly releasing some of the AI tools. And I did a, a quick uh, research on what are the giants doing in the profession to implement AI. And most of it is more towards uh, automation and language capabilities as of now, rather than uh, really doing some of the automated updation work for, for example, a continuous book update as transactions are happening, which means you got to have all the banks connected and those kinds of things, right? And anything that's not hit the bank, how do you get that data into the accounting software for that to happen automatically? Those are things that are yet to come. But from uh, currently from accountant's point of view, let's say leave aside the big four or that let's say top 20, 30 firms who can create their own AI tools within based on their own proprietary data. Rest of the market, uh, the biggest opportunity right now uh, seems to be around communications and cutting down on uh, research time whenever they're looking at uh, things. But again, there are caveats there. AI can hallucinate. I learned that quite some time ago, there was a classic case where an attorney uh, you know, submitted six case uh, references to the court, and all of them happened to be fake uh, because AI kind of made them up and the attorney is about to lose his license. So from, from a factual check point of view, anything that AI spits at you in terms of, okay, here is the reference, here is the law, you know, you got to double check. You know? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Well, this is great, Hitender, but we're up against our break. I want to remind those of you that sure. want to contact us, you can send an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. The website is The Soul of Enterprise. We can see show notes as well as previews to upcoming shows. Our Patreon channel, patreon.com slash TSOE. And a certain level there, you can get a shout out like Blake Oliver at Earmark CPE does. Check him out at earmarkcpe.com. We'd also like to thank our new sponsor, Boxkeeping Franchise. Listen for their commercial as we thank our sponsors. Coming up. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. 
These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? Of course you haven't because you're here right now. Look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercials plus bonus content. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE, subscribe now, and be free. You're worth it. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking about the rise of accountants with Hitendra Patel. And Hitendra, again, in your book, Client Accounting Services, you, you provide a framework that I really, really like. You talk about accountants. Accountants deal with the, they, they have the capability, of course, dealing with the past and the present. And I think the cloud kind of ushered in our ability to, to look at things in real time. And then, of course, the future, I kind of think of that as hindsight, insight, and foresight. That's right. And you talk about the perfect engagement ring. Yep. And I just thought that was such a beautiful metaphor. Can you explain the perfect engagement ring? Right. So essentially every human being, the whole life is never about the current moment. Yeah, everybody talks about being in the moment and all. But as a human being, if I sit alone, I always am thinking, oh, in my childhood, I did this. Those memories run so quickly through our minds, like lightning fast. We are always about the whole experience of life. And business, I think, is something similar, a uh, whole experience of business. You start, uh, you struggle, you you grow, you have growth uh, problems, you dip down. All of that sort of stuff kind of comprises of your whole experience. And accountants are kind of privy to that experience for their clients. They are the witnesses. They are the ones who can drive that experience. They learn from the past to make sure that today they can give some really good, quick, uh, actionable points to the business. At the same time, they're the ones who can really plan things better for their uh, business clients and even for individuals in terms of their tax plannings and whatnot. So it, it cannot ever be about, let's do it today. Uh, today you uh, sold six items, let me raise the bill for you and be done with it. That's never going to be an accountant's job only, right? So so you're talking about the past. Yeah, you you did well. But your margins went down by 3.3% uh, because of this. And these were the likely decisions that uh, kind of made that happen. And you could have avoided that. So you're getting into the past, dipping into it, bringing it to current. And then you're saying, okay, in future, you might want to do X or Y, but don't do Z. Right. So it always has to be past, present, and future. And that's why I call it the engagement ring. And if you provide that engagement ring as an accountant to your client 
you are uh, metaphorically engaged with the client forever, right? Yeah, what I love mm-hmm. about that is it puts yeah. the relationship at the center. Correct. Exactly yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Um, so let so we know accountants are really good with the past. We're yeah. great historians. Mm-hmm. I think we have lousy memory sometimes, but mm-hmm. uh, and we're obviously getting better with the present because of the cloud. I think that battle's been pretty much won. But let's talk about the future. These firms that do CAS, and I know you profiled many in your book, mm-hmm. um, are they really good at sitting down, taking the time to sit down and talk about the future with their customers, helping them strategize, helping them do what-if analysis, maybe building models about the future like the finance people do? Do you see a lot of that, or is it just uh, they're still just kind of focused on the past and the present, not so much the future? Yeah, so let me answer that in two different ways, uh, Ron. Uh, it's a great question. In fact, the current research that I'm doing, the initial results, the number one uh, impact of CAS on the firm, most respondents are saying, we are talking more with the clients. We are interacting more with the clients. So it has already happened as a impact of getting into CAS. And I'm sure inside in my book, I kind of estimated that or anticipated that and said, look, you got to provide for that. So that's one. The second uh, next uh, response that comes in is that we are becoming a one-stop shop for our clients because they're offering so many services under one uh, client um, uh, CAS umbrella. And when you're dealing with so many different aspects of a client's business as an accountant, there are always going to be more opportunities and more need to be able to talk to the client and not just send a statement at the end of the period and be done with it. That's not going to be working in any case in CAS. That's the same old story. And what you know, I always tell uh, any any firm that if you start CAS and go to your client and say, well, I'm going to be offering you CAS, I'm going to be charging you uh, 2x more, and the client will start looking at what's the difference between yesterday and today? What am I getting different? And that difference is your input to the client on a timely basis, and that requires conversations. It cannot be just emails. It requires data-driven conversation. That's where you know having a good insight or hindsight about the past is important. But that's where you will build your future upon. So those interactions absolutely are a must. And without providing for that time, uh, you can't really expect to be successful in CAS. And one of the things I've seen, Hatendra, and I'd be curious to see if it lines up with what you're Mm -hmm. seeing, Mm -hmm. is firms that go into CAS Mm -hmm. end up taking on an inordinate amount of customers. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking if you have 800 CAS customers, Mm -hmm. how can you be working on the future? You're still just stuck in that past present mode, but you're not really, because there's no time to have those deep conversations about the future. Doesn't CAS almost by definition require your customers? Yeah, again, great question. Uh, I think uh, what's happening is because CAS comprises of, let's say, 17 different services that most commonly are offered in, in the CAS umbrella, if a customer comes in and buys three of them or four of them and you don't want to lose that customer, you tend to give bits and pieces to that and you still call them a CAS customer itself is a wrong definition in the first place. So if you apply the whole definition of CAS, okay, how many clients we do everything where they're not talking to any other accounting firm or a tax firm, then you're talking, yeah, that's a real CAS uh, client for me. And in that case, the number will surely come down. So you can always say CAS clients and non-CAS clients. 
and you truly define who are your cash clients and leave everything in that non-cash umbrella. You want to do it for those 800, 600, whatever the number is, that's perfectly okay. But for those who really do cash, you better give them everything that you got. Yeah, totally agree. Mm -hmm. uh, do you also see, we're starting to see a lot more firms really focusing. I mean, I, I don't know if the word's niching, mm -hmm. but just being focused on a particular demographic or a particular industry, however mm -hmm. you want to define niche. Mm -hmm. Are you seeing that as well? Because that, that took us a while to mm -hmm. really learn specialization. I mean, doctors have been doing it since the forties, lawyers yeah. since the fifties, we were kind of slow into that. Yeah. Do you see more specialization these days? It's increasing for sure but not to the extent like doctors did or lawyers did uh, in a long time, long, long time ago. Uh, biggest advantage for niching is you become expert in a particular industry and hence the lateral adjacent industries. So you can deliver far better value and impact to your clients. Uh, sure. So surely cash clients do seem to be, or cash firms do seem to be focusing more on niches than in general. Again, the same research that I'm conducting, you know, what's your biggest opportunity is one of the questions. And uh, the number one response is small business. So small business is not a niche. It's like all over the place, right? So mass market is still not into those niches as far as accounting profession is concerned. That's that's what I see. Right, right. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we get asked, Ed and I get asked all the time, if you were to mm -hmm. launch a firm today for you know, from scratch, what mm -hmm. would you do? And I know there's, you know, there's no such thing as a perfect firm, but we mm -hmm. all see so many different firms. We yeah. can kind of take the best of the best and put it right. together. What what would you do if you were launching an accounting firm tomorrow? Yeah, I think first and foremost, uh, I'll make sure I can survive for a thousand days. I'll collect enough money, keep it somewhere <laughs> and then get into it. Because otherwise what happens is anything uh, that walks into your door is a client. And then you just get dispersed very quickly. And then you just cannot come out of that vortex, right? So you got to be intentional on what you do. If you you are not a fresher, you have some 10 years experience, let's say, behind you, you know what, what makes you happy if you watch yourself consciously. But I'm doing this work. I'm so excited. That's your passion. That's your niche, really speaking. And that's where you should find your clients, right? So you find that out and then look for clients in that place. And then you got to make sure that, you know, all the value that you can deliver in that particular your passion zone, how are you expressing that to your potential clients? And if you put that out as much as you can on your website, on your social media, on your writing, whatever way you do marketing, you will attract only the same kinds of people who, uh, who that res will resonate with. And if you just spread yourself too thin, too wide, uh, you just cannot uh, really form a good firm. You'll, you'll exist. You, accounting is one of the most profitable professions in any case uh, in, the, in the country. So you'll make your money, you'll float around, but you won't be happy. But as of now, if you really want to be happy doing the work that you want to do, make sure you align your positives to attract those who align with you. I couldn't agree more. Uh, do you see more uh, firms, especially those cast firms, adopting mm -hmm. a subscription business model? Oh, yes. That's another thing. You know, uh, three years, four years ago, when I did that research for my first cast book, uh, uh, the fixed fee pricing was really getting very popular, but not necessarily a subscription model. You know, so it was always post facto, but like, uh, predictable pricing in the fixed fee. There are still one third of them were still charging hourly fees and uh, maybe one third we're saying they are charging value pricing. 
right. not necessarily they were, uh, but subscription pricing is absolutely getting into the popular zone right now. Some people are calling it a monthly recurring fee, you know, and uh, that's like build up front, you know, uh, you're going to be paying me just like how you pay, let's say Verizon or a T-Mobile up front, you know, you're just paying, it just goes automatically, right? Nothing uh, changes there. Something similar is happening. And what's happening because of that is sometimes you feel, okay, I'm paying this much and I'm not even using it. Should I go and lower my subscription? That's what you start thinking. But that's a good thing in accounting because if somebody thinks that, look, I'm paying, let's say, $800 a month to my accountant. I don't even know what am I doing with it. I'm just paying it. So let me go and uh, pick uh, pick the brains of my accountant. That's a good thing. That leads to a conversation, yeah. So subscription... uh, the method has a big advantage if you can implement it rightly. I agree. I mean, it, it, it puts the onus, I still think, is on us yeah. to nurture yeah. that relationship and reach out to them to make sure right. that we're adding value. Yeah. I know you're yeah. interested in neuroscience and, yeah. you know, we think of um, uh, behavioral economics. And one of yeah. the things I love about subscription is yeah. the customer only has that cognitive load of the pricing decision once. Exactly. Once they sign up, it's yeah. automatic. Right, and exactly. chances are you're going to keep them for life. Well, Attendra, this has been great. Ed's going to take you the rest of the way home. Okay. And folks, I'd like to remind you, if you want to contact Ed or me, send us an email to asktsoe at barrisage.com. And now a word from our sponsors and Ed's employer, Sage. A little birdie told me Voice America is on Twitter. Voice America TRN. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe today. Please, for the love of God, make it stop! The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com are tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise and we are talking with tatendra patel and he is the author of the rise of the ai accountants and also client accounting and advisory services the 12 wants of CAS, CAS success and accountants. And I wanted to ask you about CAS, CAS. Mm-hmm. And that is 
one of the things that Ron and I talk about, and he, he alluded to it a little bit earlier, is I really don't think that you can be both at the same time. I don't think that you can be a client accounting services provider and a client advisory services provider where you say we do all ends of that spectrum. I just don't think that you can do it effectively well. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think uh, you can uh, be uh, only a CAS guy and uh, aspire to be a CAAS guy, <laughs> aspire to be. And uh, if you're doing only CAS and not the CAAS, uh, you have to take a look at your marketing function. You're not just marketing your expertise as good as you should be. <laughs> Uh, but I also think that CAAS cannot exist without CAS because without that understanding of the fundamentals of the business, what advice can you give? You know, you can take past books again and go into a historian mode and try and give in hindsight, but that's not going to be real great advice. So for you to be in CAAS, you've got to be doing live work for sure. Right. Yeah, and I think that gets to your point about you know ha having a thousand days worth of cash to be, be before you start your business because what what will happen is that you'll end up taking on customers who only want the accounting stuff and you're like, right. Right. I, no, I don't. Yeah. And and I think that's the biggest advice I usually have for people is if you do want to do the advisory stuff, yeah. don't take a customer who only wants the accounting stuff. Exactly right. Exactly right. It's like you go to the doctor. And say, I got a headache and I have a running nose. You treat only my headache, but not the running nose. The doctor will say, go find somebody else. Right? <laughs> <laughs> or uh, this is like right out of David Meister. Or I have a headache. Okay, great. I'm a brain surgeon. Let me cut you open to find out what's causing your <laughs> Let's find out what's causing your headache. Okay. Uh, it's so true, though. I mean, uh, the mantra we have is, you know, you can't be McDonald's and Ruth's Chris and a vegan restaurant. And I think that that's what a lot of, lot of folks yeah. are trying to be. Right. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You, you don't you don't want to definitely take clients uh, just because you have to pay your bills. If that's your situation, in any case, you know, you didn't have the thousand days. Cash. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, so talk a little bit. You, you mentioned a couple of times that you do research and, mm -hmm. and with, with the accounts. I want to hear a little bit about your production function there. How do you go about doing that? Do you have a, a, a personal big wank and list of all the accountants that you survey? What's what's your production function around doing research? Yeah, so I do what I call the, the sprinkle polls on my own LinkedIn and all that. So that gets me good enough uh, information to validate my hypothesis that this is the real problem and which requires finding a solution, right? So that includes my own personal newsletter and, you know, maybe 10, 15,000 or accounting, uh, you know, connections. You know, that gets me some information. Then I go through proper channels like, you know, CPA trend lines with massive uh, amounts of subscribers. And then uh, we talk about what can I do with this research? What will come out of this research that will be useful, actionable for the market? Only if that's going to be possible, then we take up the research. Right? And uh, AI, for example, uh, you know, everyone's talking about AI. What's going to be the impact? You know, there's not too much information on you know, what technologists are doing about AI to impact the accounting profession. So what can we get? We can get only opinions, not really you know, some trends. So opinions is a simple poll is okay but for research to come up with uh, something really useful that some people can take home and implement in their firms uh, we follow a very serious path so there are lots of these iterations that happen in terms of what questions to ask what's the answer every answer what's the purpose of that answer if i get that answer what am i going to do with it right? so it goes through several rounds and then we test it out and figure out okay is this kind of resonating are people biting into this research will they spend that 10 15 minutes time in giving those answers and that kind of stuff 
and then we get into the research. But that gets me tons and tons of data. So if I start like you know uh, slicing, dicing, and connecting the dots, it can generate uh, tons of insights that can be actionable. Then we get to what size of firms are giving these answers. So you you know subdivide that into zones. Okay, mid-sized firms, small-sized firms, larger firms. What's the real issue that they should be looking at? So those kinds of things, and which means I try to make the research outcome as closely relatable to uh, each single firm in that zone, middle or small or big. So they should find it relevant to their sized firm. So that's a conscious effort that we do. Do, do you find that sometimes the, it, it's the anomalies that are the more interesting stories, like the folks who who come back with with answers that are really outside the the, the norm? Oh, absolutely. So, you know, we talked about neuroscience and you know behavioral economics. So why are people thinking what they're thinking? Is always the curiosity behind all these things. So you almost expect some kinds of answers to come. You almost expect that this could be the result based on your understanding of the market. And sometimes you do get surprised. But the moment you get these exceptions, you want to talk to them more. Why did they give that answer? So we do have, you know, at times I put the question, okay, what's your answer to this question? And end of it, I'll say, okay, free form uh, field. Why did you answer like that? And then you get those, you know, then you build upon or you connect. Sometimes you find, okay, 10 different people from different zones, different parts of the world are saying the same thing. What is the common thing that they're thinking and why, which other 90% of the people are not thinking? So absolutely, yes. Anomalies are uh, fantastic movie scripts. (laughs) (laughs) Try to find out what's going on there. Yeah, yeah. So um, Talk a little bit about maybe something that surprised you the, the, the more recently in some of the data that you've gotten back. I think uh, one of the biggest surprises that I had uh, in very recent uh, research is uh, people thinking that uh, they don't have some of the key challenges that uh, accounting profession talks about, including talent shortage, the need to find uh, better clients, uh, the need to keep up with technology, that's like a given. And some people say, I don't have that problem. And then you kind of dive and say, okay, wait, you're not a solo practitioner that doesn't need to hire anybody. So you don't have a staffing shortage problem. That's not the case, right? But then uh, you say, wait, this is a good size firm. Why are they saying? So if something's different there, something they must have nailed it, that is making them say that, or maybe it's just an opinion that, look, I don't want to say I have a problem, you know. So research can sometimes be a little bit of a misleading, but those are definitely surprises. People going against the grain and saying something different that is not affecting them. There could be really good firms. You know, for example, one of the firms who does only CFO work, nothing else, CFO level. Of course, they do behind the scenes cast and all that stuff, but CFO work, for them, the general problems are not there. Okay, their, their challenge is finding clients that are willing to pay $5,000, $10,000 a month, right? But they're doing pretty well. So for them, it's an exception, right? Yeah. I think it may, maybe because the you know the, the the big four in the accounting profession are so big yeah. that 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 a lot of you know the, the, what they perceive as to be the important things are the ones that come through in the the media and and yeah. but that's not what's affecting the the midsize firms at right. all. So exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got a little over a minute left, Hatendra, and I'm actually going to steal a question that Ron often asks at, at the end, and that is, if you are giving somebody advice, a, a high school or early college student, why should they go into the accounting profession? Yeah, I think the, the biggest advice I would give is, you know, uh, find out you know, what is the kind of impact that accountants can have on anybody's life and business. 
uh, forget about what they do, forget about what they say are their services. What's the outcome of those services and how does that impact? The moment you see that human impact on lives of people and the more, the, the more quickly you recognize that, the better you will be equipped to be a successful accountant and at the same time, a fulfilled accountant. Well, this this has been great flying by. Thank you so much, Attender, for being with us today. We really appreciate you taking time to talk to us on The Soul of Enterprise. Thank you for having me here, Ed. Uh, We've known each other for so long, and this is is fantastic discussion. Thank you for the opportunity. All right. Ron, I guess we'll see each other in about 157 hours, 167 hours. There you go. 67. There you go. All All right. (laughs) this has been the soul of enterprise business and the knowledge economy sponsored by sage building experiences that connect remove friction deliver insights join us next week folks on friday at noon pacific time in the meantime check us out at the soul of enterprise.com we'll have full show notes with our conversation with attender today and links to his books also if you want to contact me or Ed, send us an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend.